0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, well, this is Rohit so nice and I'm excited to have Sydney Thomas, who works at Precursor Ventures as a principal, where she has check-writing abilities and focuses her time on investing and supporting pre seed companies that democratize access to products and services for the mass market economy. Prior to her work in tech, she served uh in the two administration in New York City. She managed public-private partnerships for the New York government, Department of Education and Office of Financial Environment, uh, Sydney, uh, done a MBA from Berkeley and a BA from Duke. Welcome to the show, Sydney. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So so you know you have an interesting journey. You uh, you grew up in San Diego. You worked in the government. Um, how did how did that came about? Working in the venture capital. What was what was your uh, growing up days in San Diego about?
1: Yeah. So I'm originally from San Diego. Um, spent you know from was born there and stayed until I you know left for college, and um, growing up. I was one of those rare kids in that like I actually had no no idea what I wanted to do and I was pretty open about that. I feel like all the kids, you know, when they're like five or six, I would be an astronaut or I would be president. And I was just like, hmm, let's see. <laughs> and so I didn't really have um a I was kind of, I guess ever since I was little, I've always been some one of these people who likes to just like observe, take in all the information I can, and then make the best judgment I can after I've received all that information. And somehow I knew even when I was little that I didn't have all the options. Nobody, they hadn't given me all the options of what I could be yet. And so um, went to Duke and studied anthropology largely because, well, went into it thinking I was going to study anthropology largely because I thought that civilizations were just so interesting. I thought people were so interesting and weird, and unpredictable, and I was like, well, if I can study this, I think I'll have some really interesting, I thought it was just, um, I'd get some really interesting insights. And so, started down that path, then once I got into it in school, realized that I needed something a little bit more applicable, or I wanted to study something a little bit more applicable to um, what I'd be doing after school and got really excited about government work. Um, I have a lot of family members who work in government and I was so intrigued in my anthropology work around how much government can really influence society and create haves and create have nots through legislation. And so I got um, really deep in learning about that, interned with Congressman Barbara Lee while I was in school. And really wanted to work in Capitol Hill after I graduated. I applied to over a hundred jobs there, and I got not one, not one. And so I was like, okay, what do I do now? Um, and luckily, my class counselor told me about a role in New York City government working with the Bloomberg administration. And I applied, I got it, and so I packed my bags and moved to New York City after graduation and really just spent those four years in new york studying i think a lot of public policy not just from bloomberg but also my colleagues who were working in government at that time and was so intrigued about around how both the private sector and the public sector can come together to build really interesting solutions that i decided that i needed to learn a little bit more about the private sector so that's when i came out to business school came back you know to my home state of California, went to Berkeley and spent those two years running around San Francisco, really just interning at as many places I could find, talking to as many folks as I could to understand where I could make the most um, impact in the private sector and realized that the VC world was actually one that was really engineering and funding an entire generation of businesses And so how awesome would it be to be in that role where I'm really having this huge um, decision-making capacity to influence what business will look like in the next 10, 20, 30 years. Decided to go into venture capital and did the same thing I did when I was looking for my job in Capitol Hill, emailed hundreds of folks and um, got a few responses back. And one of those led me to,
0: to my now boss Charles Hudson, and have been at Precursor Ventures ever since. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a super interesting journey because it, it shows uh, you've done the kind of hustle to uh, to figure out you know where you want to be, and yeah, you know you started off as an intern with Capital. Uh, do you think it's uh, an internship at a, at a VC firm is like a perfect job to get into into the VC world?
1: I think that being an intern at uh, um intern using an internet as a on the capitol hill be to as a like a prerequisite. Yes. Thank you. You read my blog post. I really liked it was like a really cool um kind of like putting those two things together for myself when I reflected on the work that I did when I was an intern on Capitol Hill. I realized right. that, you know, so much of what I was doing there was um, responding to lots and lots of people, you know, like Congressman Barberley represents pretty much all of the East Bay. So hundreds of people, no, hundreds of thousands of people. I'm I'm respond. I'm in charge of, or not even in charge of, but that um, I'm I'm a liaison for Congressman Barberly too. And in addition to that, you know, the issues that they're asking me are not easy answers. They're not easy questions. They're asking me really intense questions like what's going to happen with healthcare? What's going to happen with, you know, this legislation that's coming down the pike? And so I didn't have any really easy answers either. And so a lot of what I learned there was how to to understand really large ideas and translate them um, back to folks who who might not be in the room when all the legislation is getting getting written. And I do a lot of that in BC too, where I'm translating like, what does AI and ML actually mean? Like unclear from just saying like AR or ML, how do I translate that to folks who might not, who might be building something in AI, but just don't know how to talk about it, that they're building in AI. And similar to the large swaths of, Folks responding to them because we're a pre-seed fund, we're not, there's actually not that many of us and pretty much everyone can have an idea. And so we get inbound from pretty much everyone who's had an idea <laughs> and wants to talk to us about it. So that means hundreds of emails a week that I have to process. And um I think the the large part too though that I picked up from being an intern in Capitol Hill too is that just, just like focusing on the long game is such an important piece of this puzzle of being a VC. A lot and it was the same in DC. Like when you get there, you might have a law that you want written tomorrow. It'll it may be written in five years from then, Maybe okay. probably like 10 years. And so how do you get there? build capacity, build relationships with folks across the aisle, understand what they're looking for, figure out how to communicate your idea. And it's so much like that in the VC world where we're working with companies that are, you know, pre when we meet them and so their ability to really influence a large swath of society is probably 10 years from when we meet them because they'll need additional funding they'll need to grow they'll need additional people on the team and so it's a really similar um, I feel like i I picked up some really awesome tools when I was on on the hill that I still use today
0: yeah, no, I think I think that's super interesting and yeah you know how can how can new vCS uh, build a track record uh, you know is it is it possible to build a track record without any capital input uh, just? To be in
2: yeah,
1: so I think that like it's been interesting to see how different folks do this. um I think that you know you see some some people will blog about, companies that they're excited about. Um, The way I took it was I actually decided to build a podcast around the types of companies that I was interested in. Um, And that was my way to really start understanding why am I interested in these companies? What are they building that kind of like piques my interest? But also how do I communicate their stories? So that other people can understand why they're so valuable. And also, how do I start kind of like putting some, you know, some breadcrumbs around what types of things I was interested in years ago? Like literally, this was like 2018 when I started the podcast. So that I can track these companies along the way. And it's been so awesome to watch their growth. Actually, one company that I didn't end up interviewing but that I was tracking early on, um, Honeybee just announced a fundraiser today. They just raised their five, a $5 million seed. And so it's just been really cool to have um, had a, a kind of roster of companies that I was rooting for that everybody else knew that I was rooting for in those early years and be able to communicate how successful they have become over you know, the almost five years since since that those initial conversations.
0: Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan. Uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. And uh, when it came to the podcast, were you also inviting the founders of the companies or were you just talking about the thesis of uh, you know what the companies all about?
1: Yeah, so every every time I would have, I had a, a number of segments. It was a little, it was a lot of fun. It was kind of like a childhood. Dream. I say I don't have many dreams when I was a kid, but I did have a dream to be a radio broadcast host because I thought it sounded like such a fun job. And so I had a few segments. One was like breaking down what the VC term of the week was to the general public. Um, one was Kind of like an intro about why I was excited about the company, and then each one also had an interview where I interviewed the founder of the company that I was really excited about, um, and shared what they were building with with the general public.
0: Uh, interesting, and uh, you know, I want to talk about Precursor Ventures. You know, what are the thesis uh, for for the for the firm, and are you sector and stage agnostic?
1: Yeah, so Precursor Ventures is a precede firm. We are journalists. And so the thought process is that we're doing about 20 to 25 deals a year. And so pretty active fund. And um, the goal is to is to be a journalist partly because the stage in which we invest is already so risky of pre that adding an additional layer or dimension of, 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 um, Industry could really, I think, negatively impact our returns, and so um, really grateful that we've had really awesome success in that. We have raised three funds now, and um, have worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs, and it's been it's been a really fun ride.
0: Uh, And uh, you know, I wanted to understand uh, your thoughts on uh, on the TAM at Growth Day. Uh, do you think uh, when you assess opportunities, how important is time at the, at the beginning of, uh, of the idea of the product?
2: Yeah,
1: I'd say that's a big, big focus of ours, and that we're interested in having um, in investing in companies that have access, or are interested in in touching a large market. Um, and I think that I think I think how we how we really evaluate companies is focused on: Are you also building the, as a novel, are you building a novel business to address that, Tam? Because I think that what we see often is that, I mean, this is a really, this is, takes us back to like the Uber Lyft stories, where they'll become a space where there's a lot of different companies, um, basically doing the, honestly, the exact same thing. And so the only differentiation is oftentimes price, which just means that or marketing, which just means that then the founders are investing a lot of money into marketing. And what we want to see the founders invest more on is, you know, the product and their people and all these other pieces. And so what we're really excited about are companies that are attacking more, more novel industries, um, so that they have a little bit more room to grow, to pivot, to bounce up against things. And they're not kind of like Every day, worried about you know the person who's running the, tri- the running on the track right next to them, and how might they beat them out on the Google AdWords for the day.
0: Uh, interesting, and uh, uh, you know, when, when it comes to early stage investments, when do you look at uh, unit economics, and when do you think is the right time for a for investor to to focus on unit economics?
1: Um, I think that, you know, for us, usually a pre-seed, there's so much up in the air still, because literally when we when when we talk about pre-seed, it really is idea stage. And so there usually is not a fully baked product yet. There's usually no revenue. There are no unit economics (laughs) Mm or (laughs) they're on like some sort of Excel spreadsheet that's basically just a made-up hypothesis. And so I think for us we expect that they'll really start nailing that down once they get to the seed round and so seed to series A is a time where they can build out strong unit economics and build out I think a really really strong product market fit but the pre-seed to seed is really like how do they get to launch how do they demonstrate that there's demand for this product how do they de- how do they demonstrate that there's there's potential I feel like that's really what we're measuring at recently seed. And that once I won't say think you get to economics. It really is this refinement of of the marketing strategy, of the product, you know, configuration, of maybe it's the packaging If it's an e-commerce product. And so it's a lot more of this tinkering that I think happens um post-launch and once you have the product in market and you actually understand what's working and what's not, which is um
2: you know, not pre-seek. Uh, and uh, when it comes to investments, you know, uh,
0: you talked about it's, it's more more like a generalized fund, but what is the right level of diversification for precursor ventures?
2: Um, I would say that it's hard to it's hard to really put a foot
1: in a line in the sand, because we have such a wide range of companies and that we have a cargo drone company, we have, you know, B2B FinTech companies, we have um, e-commerce companies. And so I'd say that there are some things that we don't look at, which are companies that are largely if you're selling into school systems, we generally don't invest in those companies. If you're um, building like a very, very, very um, CapEx intensive product, the drone company was really kind of like our one shot there. We don't do much of that. Um, if you're building in biotech, we do that every now and then, but very rarely. And so I'd say that, you know, Most rules have an exception every here and there, Um, but we generally, I'd say also we don't do a lot of crypto investing. So I'd say there are some things we generally don't look at, but I'd say there's very few things where there's like a hard line in the sand where we would never, ever
2: take a look at it.
0: All right. And uh, you know, as I understand that Figos Ventures uh, uh, has a solo GP uh, with Charles and uh, Hudson. You know, how how do you approach at uh, decision making uh, when you're looking at your uh, investment decisions? Um, how does the decision making happen uh, with Preos Ventures?
2: Yeah,
1: it's a great question. I feel like most funds are a little bit of a black box here, and I'd say that um, that's part of the reason why I think Charles was so excited to have this solo GP model, and that. There's less of a, um, when a founder's coming to us, there's less um, confusion around how how to get into the portfolio. It, it really is, how do you get a yes from Charles? I'd say that I have um, decision-making capacity as well, but just for a small, small, tiny fraction of the fund, Charles is really the decision-maker for The vast majority of it. And so um, most decisions route through
0: him. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use social socialpilot to get a 14 day free trial. uh, 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 you know, Sydney, you've also been part of Kauffman Fellows, uh, and uh, you know, I happened to look at the blog post that you wrote. Uh, very interesting insight, especially for for budding VCs who want to get into uh, Kauffman. But uh, yeah, how, how was your experience at Kauffman Fellows? And you know, would you recommend uh, you know VCs uh, to 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 look into Kauffman Fellows, you know, being a Kauffman Fellow? Yeah, I've enjoyed it
1: a lot. I think that it's been a really cool opportunity for me to um to build um, stronger relationships with some other VCs that where I feel like um because they're so much they're so focused on really a cohort mentality and small group discussion, you're able to build in this Kaufman confidential promise that they have where everything that's said in Kaufman can't be said outside of Kaufman. I think they've put up some really interesting structures around the interaction with other Kaufman fellows where you feel like you can really let your guard down, I think in ways that is not always the case in other programs. And so um, I really enjoyed it, and I think I would definitely recommend it to anybody who is looking to build some deeper relationships with their colleagues and venture, and um, also looking to just, you know, I think get challenged on different ideas, and I think um, explore how they're, they're approaching their own goals. I think that's another piece of Hoffman where that's been really cool, where they Really help you think through what are your, how do you want to think about your long term goals in this business, which I think is um, really helpful. No, I don't feel like I've ever been in a program before that just kind of sat me down and said, okay, what? So let's have, let's get to your goals here. Let's figure out how we actually accomplish them. Even business school is much more focused on, let's just get you a job (laughs) and then get out. So you can start paying us your loans back and also can start don- donating back to us say with undergrads but this is a very unique situation where it is much more focused on you know how do we really support you and what you want to do.
0: Interesting and is Coffman is Fellows a full-time uh, uh, you know in or something you could do uh, along with your job?
1: It's something you do along with your job it's really like a um you know, you meet I think once a quarter in person with your class, and in between that, you have a monthly call with your cohort. Um, but yeah, it definitely is something you do alongside your your full time
0: job. Correct, and you know I want to uh, talk more about hiring, especially for for you know founders listening uh, to this podcast. And, you know what what are some of the some of the biggest challenges founders face. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know hiring uh, high quality uh, high quality people for the, for the company. And, oh, yeah. you know, how should they address?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like hiring is one of the most important things you can do as a startup founder. Um, one of the things that I've seen really um, one of the things that I've seen done well, Is basically, uh, you know, how there's this ABC, like always be closing for founders, for sales more generally. I feel like that's the same thing with hiring, where it's like always be meeting new people who might be interested in your company, who might be helpful to your company, who you might want to work with one day and starting to create this really long roster list of folks who you'd like to work with you. And so then when you have, you know, when you have that actual need, you know of somebody who could be a great person for that role. And so I think that, um, especially in the early days, there's, I'd say what I see works really well is this constant kind of interest in outreach to people who might be useful for your business in terms of, you know, With hopes of one day closing them as a candidate, Um, because I think that when you find when you realize you need someone, especially early stage, you probably need them like two weeks ago.
2: (laughs) And so the
1: hiring process, right? So the hiring process is usually has to be pretty accelerated. If you constantly have a roster of folks who are you're cultivating for these roles, um, you can make that that hiring process much faster.
0: And, um, uh, you know, it's been, uh, uh, you know, COVID had been an inflection point last year, but there have been a lot of entrepreneurs and VCs who moved to two different cities, especially, you know, places like uh, Miami uh, and other cities. Do you think there's going to be an exodus of uh, uh, investors and entrepreneurs who will move away from big cities? Or do you think after, you know, COVID restrictions, I mean, once it goes away, people are going want to come back to bigger cities and that's where most most of the networks the network effect happens especially in Silicon Valley and the bigger Cities.
2: Um I think that's a
1: great question. What I've seen happen with my friends is it's not really hasn't been really like a because of COVID I want to move to you know Tucson, Arizona. It's really been like actually my parents are in Chicago, they're getting older. I've been wanting to move there for a while now. And I really just saw this place, San Francisco or Oakland or wherever, as a stint anyway. This is now's the time. And so what I've seen is actually this acceleration of, of goals to move somewhere else. Um, instead of this kind of like epiphany because of COVID, that I have decided to move to this far wrong place forever and ever and ever. And so I think that it's really just um, going to be constantly driven by the interests of of the people who are, who, uh, interests of people more generally. I think it's a really personal decision deciding to move. And um, I think that that's something that I've seen a lot of my friends struggle with. And it's largely motivated by family.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, you would want to give an advice to a new founder to start a company, you know, where should they start a company? Do you think some of the biggest unicorns can come out of smaller cities as well? For
1: sure. I think that wherever you are, you can build a business. There's no limit. And I think that's been um, the cool thing about folks hopping on Zoom right now, I just feel like people are more open to taking calls on Zoom. People are more open to, um, you know, meeting, not having to do a first meeting in person. I'm talking from a VC perspective and then, you know, close the deal in person. I think VCs are still very much closing deals on Zoom. And I see that as um, something that is going to continue going forward. And so I'd say, Really, wherever you think you can do your best work is where you should start your
0: company. Oh, interesting! And uh, you know, you've been uh, uh, a success story, uh, especially in the, in the VC world. But what can be done to, to support you know women uh, emerging managers in the VC world so that you have more uh, diversity, especially when it comes to startups and in, in the VC community? Yeah.
1: I think one of them, one of the things, you know, actually one of my founders said this recently, and it was so cool to hear him say this. He was like, actually, I've realized that there's a lot of groupthink on my team and I need to hire someone different because this is not helpful. I need to start pushing, you know, the boundaries. I need to start thinking about things in a different way. And I think that if more people thought like that, we'd be in a better place where it's like, actually, there's too many people of the same here. How do I switch it up? Because I think that that's one of the superpowers of, of the United States is that's the whole point. See, there's so many different people here. And so if you're not taking advantage of that, you know, cross pollination that can happen, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so I think that recognition of, this isn't really helpful for anyone but you, <laughs> is, I think, a perspective that um, more folks could explore.
0: Uh, and, um, uh, you know, you, you've been uh, quite active on uh, on blogging. Uh, you also, you know, you're a fellow podcaster, uh, and you also uh, have, uh, have your own uh, Substack newsletter. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, how do you use uh, your blog and podcast to, to voice and how do you find the time to, you know, put out the content and educate uh, as well as, you know, be be part of the solution?
1: Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. I don't know. I've been working on actually, I had, I've been experimenting with different um, support around executive assistance And so I am just now about to start a uh, new executive assistant um program but what i've been trying to do really especially in this month actually it's something about september I'm a Virgo and so it's my it's my birthday season is um really reflect on how much I can leverage additional help when I need it instead of trying to do everything by myself it's just not useful that way and so I'm trying to do a better job at documenting every single little step that I do and sharing that with folks so that I can help figure out how to plug people in to my workflow so that I can get additional help. Because I think that when I first got into venture, I mean, I did all of it by myself largely because I didn't know any better. (laughs) And just kind of like trenched through the waters. And now I'm like, oh, actually, and I think part of it too was like, I needed to figure out what processes I even liked and what technologies even like were out there. And so now I feel like that I've seen um, and experimented with so many things from, you know, building Zaps and Zapier to like Notion to Superhuman to Airtable, Evernote. Like I have so many different technologies that I use to help me now that I think um, what I'm realizing is I need
0: to do better at plugging other people in into those workflows. And um, you know, I've been trying to increase my uh, email following on my family newsletters and uh, and uh, you know Substack. Any uh, any advice for me on how to how do I increase the following and uh, you know what should what should you know founders and investors talk more about on the on the Substack on uh, on the newsletters?
2: Oh. That's a good
1: question? Um, that's a really good question. I think conversations that I would like to have um, more of are conversations around um, not necessarily failure, but I feel like there's a lot of these conversations around if you want to do this then if you just do these five things, then it'll all be great. And it's just kind of like, no, that's not how this works. This is not how this works. And so these conversations around like, actually, you know, this is really messy. And I wasn't, and I think that's the five things is both, you know, it's a product because consumers like clarity just as much as I think producers like creating the clarity. It's like we don't like, kind of the messy middle and so I think as more that we can talk about how you kind of like figured out stuff when you were in the middle of it I think the better because I think that this kind of like um it's over now and if you just copy these five if you just wake up early drink coffee and like go run for five hours you'll accomplish your you'll be the best person ever it's kind of like no that's not how life works that's not how startups work. Startups are just our life, you know? Right. And so they're messy, they're sometimes really ugly. And um, I think we need to talk about how you get back from the those trenches instead of just kind of painting the fairy tale picture all the time.
0: Very interesting. And, um, you know, Sylvia, yeah, could you want to do to the top three? What's your favorite business book?
1: Yeah, my favorite business book is probably. Um, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. I think kind of to that point of the mess middle, it's like this understanding of how important it is to talk about your own vulnerability, to be vulnerable with other people, to share things when they're really not great. And this is something I struggle with too. I think everybody struggles with it. That's why you don't see as much of it. And it's like, that's actually what leadership looks like when you're talking about those uncomfortable moments instead of trying to do the, you
0: know, bow on everything all the time. We'll, we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started your uh, your career in the venture capital industry, what is one thing you would
2: have focused on or done anything differently? Hmm. I think that. Um, I might have gone
1: with the flow a little bit more. (laughs) I'm very tight, And I think at the beginning, too, I was just like, oh, my gosh, like, all of these things must be done in this order, or else I'm a failure, or, you know, like, if I haven't done this by this time, then it's the, what have I even accomplished? And it's just kind of like all of these kind of, like, hurdles I was putting on my road for no good reason, except I um, almost needed them to to prove it to myself that I could do something, and so I think even like lowering the bar just for myself to myself around what I all of those things I think kind um, of saved me some really stressed out nights. All right. And have uh, you
2: every favorite online tool? For example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom.
1: Oh, my favorite technology is definitely Airtable. I love Airtable. I think it's the coolest. I was actually just teaching our our analyst about something in it today. Like, because we're, um, you can do, they have all all these different apps integrated into Airtable, which then allows you to just do so many more things around, like, emailing people directly from Airtable, um, tracking things down directly from Airtable. It's just it's like, I mean, it really does feel like a jack slash Jill of all trades of a technology. I'm really grateful to use it all
0: the time. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think Atable is one of the one of the most efficient uh, online products, and we'll we put out in the show in, in the show notes. Now, uh, what is what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about your about uh, your blog, podcast, and previous ventures?
1: Yeah, you can always find me at Sydney at precursorvc.com. That's probably the easiest way to reach me. Um I'm a, I'm not really on Twitter that often, but I'm Sydney page 10 on Twitter if you want to check out my um tweets. I tried to share out all of my writing um there. So yeah, probably those two places.
0: All right, yeah, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Sydney, thank you so much for taking your time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Oh, me too. Thanks for having me. This
1: is really nice.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.